Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to Actus Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bring you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, August 30th, marks our 76th program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Developments in Outpatient CDI. I'm joined by a uh, frequent regular co-host, Alan Frady. You can see him on the left-hand side of your screen there. Uh, briefly, Alan is a CDI education specialist here with us at Actus. He teaches our clinical documentation improvement boot camps um, and serves as a subject matter expert. He has uh, 12 years of experience as a coding consultant, coding director, and six years as a CDI consultant, and I'm glad to have him back on the show. So uh, welcome, Alan. Here, Brian. All right. And next, I'd like to introduce our two industry guests, um, probably familiar names to those who are uh, fans or readers of the, of the Pocket Guide, uh, CDI Pocket Guide. Briefly, they are Richard Pinson. Richard is an MD, FACP, and CCS, and is principal of Pinson & Tang CDI educators and consultants uh, based in Houston, Texas. Uh, Dr. Pinson, of course, as I mentioned, is co-author of our CDI Pocket Guide and is um, also co-author of the new Outpatient CDI Pocket Guide, both published by uh, us here at Actus with Cynthia Tang. And I'm glad to have him on the show. He's been on before. And welcome back to the program, Richard. Hi, Brian and Alan. I'm uh, glad to be back with you on Actus Radio again. I want to say hello to our audience uh, as well. All right. Good to have you on, Richard. And uh, next, I'd like to introduce Richard's uh, cohort here, uh, Cynthia Tang. Uh, Cynthia is an RHIA and CCS and is a coding CDI and health information management consultant and principal also with Richard of Pinson and Tang CDI educators. She also is based in Houston, Texas. And I just have to add that we're, we're, we're glad that uh, Cynthia is, is in great shape. She actually lives in Houston amid all this flooding, and um, you know, we were just chatting earlier about the, the mess in Houston. So cer certainly all of our uh, best wishes go out to our, our listeners and members in Houston. Um, so Cynthia, I'm very glad to have you yeah. on the show, and I uh, hope everything is going well, and, and, and thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Glad to be all here. Right. Absolutely. All right, we're going to uh, start, as we always do, with a uh, poll related to today's topic. Um, we'll ask you to chime in with your uh, results, and then we will come back to this um, after our interview with, with Richard and Cynthia. So the poll question reads, coming up now, here we go. Uh, does your CDI program assist with the review of HCCs? We'll, we'll get to those in a minute, the hierarchical condition categories. But does your CDI program assist with the review of these? Um, and the, our options are yes. We have CDI specialists that do this on a full-time basis. Uh, yes, our CDI specialists do this part-time. Uh, no, but maybe your HIM coding professionals um, perform this type of review. No, your facility maybe doesn't get paid under this model, uh, Medicare Advantage. 
or uh, don't know. So again, does your CDI program assist with HCC's review? Is it full-time CDI, part-time CDI? Is this a function of your HIM or coding department or coding professionals? Uh, maybe you don't get paid under this model or um, perhaps you don't know. We have about, uh, looks like about 75% of our audience um, voting. I'm interested in this poll in particular because we asked the same exact poll on the January 6, 2016 Actus Radio more than a year and a half ago. So we're going to be taking a look at your results and then comparing those to how they may have changed from, from those poll results that we did um, back in January of 2016. Right, we're going to go ahead and close this out and we will come back to it um, in just a few moments. So again, our, our guests today are, are Richard Pinson, excuse me, Richard Pinson and Cynthia Tang. I was combining their names. Um, they are frequently, you know, paired together because of the pocket guy. But I'm glad to have them on the show. And um, just by uh, also by way of background, they're going to be presenting a breakout session. You may have been seeing us advertising a new specialty conference, uh, the Actus Symposium Outpatient CDI, which will be held September 18th and 19th, just outside of Chicago. Uh, their session is entitled HCCs and Pay for Performance. Um, so I thought maybe we could just start, guys, by um, asking you to provide a brief overview of what you'll be covering in your session. Uh, this is Cynthia. Sure, I'd be happy to, Brian. Uh, during our, our, section, uh, our session, we won't be spending a lot of time on what HCCs actually are, but we will be discuss discussing the different payment models and how HCCs directly impact reimbursement to insurers or the health plans, and then how HCCs are used for risk adjustment for the providers, or hospitals and physicians. We'll also be laying out the differences between the inpatient and outpatient coding and documentation uh, requirements or guidelines, um, and discuss some of the most important and often problematic HCC conditions that uh, CDI and coding will focus on, and then a few case study examples to illustrate uh, some of the concepts that we'll be discussing. Great. Thank you, awesome. Cynthia. Um, can you talk a little bit more about HCCs, what they are in the, in the concept of risk adjustment, and also how are they similar or dissimilar from DRGs? Okay. Yeah, that's a very interesting and important question, Alan, and actually a, a helpful comparison to understand HCCs. Um, HCCs, which is an acronym for Hierarchical Condition Categories, um, has been used for over 10 years as a reimbursement methodology by Medicare to pay Medicare Advantage payers uh, to provide health care to Medicare patients that are enrolled in that insurer's Medicare Advantage plan. Um, each HCC includes a group of related conditions having a similar impact on the cost of care. Um, each HCC is assigned a relative weight. It's actually called a coefficient, but it's the same as a relative weight. Um, it reflects the severity of illness, expected cost of care for that particular group of conditions, um, just as DRGs do for inpatient claims. Um, and as with both systems, the higher the weight, the higher the reimbursement. Um, so on the Medicare Advantage side, 
Medicare then pays the Medicare Advantage payer based on the number of HCCs that are submitted on the claims from both the inpatient and the outpatient setting for that year. So it's a capitated payment to cover the healthcare costs for the patient for that year. Um, and so the more the HCCs, the higher the payment is for the insured. Um, so while the HCC reimbursement methodology is a flat payment to cover the entire healthcare cost for the patient for the entire year, um, the DRG is actually a flat payment rate that's paid to hospitals to cover the cost of a particular inpatient admission. Um, now these same HCC diagnoses um, are also used to severity adjust, it's used for risk adjustment, to severity adjust the certain quality and outcome measures that are included in the Medicare pay for performance programs, which impact hospitals and physicians. Um, so while the reimbursement impact from HCCs is different for insurers than for providers, um, understanding, identifying, capturing these HCC conditions is very important on the inpatient and outpatient side, and our new guide uh, helps with this. Great, Cynthia. Thanks for uh, explaining that so thoroughly. Anything to add there, Richard? Oh, I think Cynthia covered that pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I just want to add, too, that it, this is, you know, I know that the show is developments in outpatient CDI. This is an aspect of outpatient CDI. This is not only what a outpatient CDI is, but it's it's certainly a, a, a large component. And what we're we're seeing in the industry, a lot of uh, hospitals that are expanding into the outpatient arena are are focusing their efforts on. Um, Richard, maybe I thought it might be helpful that maybe you could provide a few examples of some of the key chronic conditions that CDI specialists or HIM encoding professionals might be asked to clarify um, in the outpatient settings, you know, clinics or physician practices, which ordinarily might not be a focus in the traditional, what we call inpatient CDI programs? Right. Uh, a few of them might be uh, things we focus on, but there, there are uh, quite a few of these, Brian, and some of the most important ones that come to mind are uh, things like amputation status, which we don't pay much attention to uh, inpatient, but it's very important in the outpatient uh, setting. Uh, neoplasms, especially accurate diagnosis of secondary neoplasm. The chronic diabetes complications are a really big area of interest. Alcohol and substance use and abuse is pretty complicated and uh, very important to get that right. Depression, and then there's uh, an interesting one, aortic Atherosclerosis or aneurysm is actually an HCC um, that we don't deal with at all on the inpatient side uh, in terms of CCs. And uh, in our new outpatient pocket guide, we're, we cover in great detail uh, 18 of the most important uh, of these plus 12 types of diabetic complications. So. Uh, you can see that it's uh, it's a very broad uh, subject, but you have to focus on the most important, the things that will get you the most bang for your buck, uh, the things uh, that will be high yield. 
Gotcha. Thanks. Thank you very much. That is extremely interesting about the aortic aneurysm. I used to work in, in cardiac, and there are a lot of people who carry those diagnoses, and you're correct. Rarely are they really addressed or documented uh, on an inpatient side. Can we highlight for the listeners who are mostly exposed to inpatient some of the key differences from a coding perspective, really between inpatient CDI and outpatient CDI? I know in the guidelines, I think it's section four of the official guidelines, uh, there are specific rules for outpatient versus inpatient, and how might those apply to a CDI review? Um, yes, I'll answer that. Uh, there's several distinct differences between the inpatient and outpatient coding guidelines, but probably the differences from Section 3, which is the inpatient side, might be the most important and possibly the most difficult to apply. So I think we're all familiar, and I think what you'll see on your screen, Section 4, which is for outpatient, but um, we're all familiar with Section 3, um, which is the definition of other diagnoses, and we're all familiar with um, that these are additional conditions that require clinical evaluation, treatment, diagnostic procedures, et cetera. Um, extended length of hospital stay, increased nursing care, and monitoring. So that's for the inpatient. It also in section three states that other diagnoses are all conditions that coexist at the time of admission. Now section four um, is somewhat different for how we decide what secondary codes can be assigned on the outpatient side. So if you see on your screen, are we going to show section 4i states that a chronic condition can be coded as often as the patient actually receives treatment and care for it during the visit. Um, and then section 4j, um, indicates that all documented conditions that coexist at the time of visit can be coded if they require or affect patient care, treatment, or management. So for the inpatient side, if a chronic condition is documented, we find that the patient is on a medication, we can code it. So fair, fairly straightforward. And a perfect example of that would be congestive heart failure. We look and we see that the patient's on PO Lasix. Um, but for the outpatient setting, it's not good enough to simply have a condition listed and then the home meds indicates there's a medication for it. There must be specific documentation that shows that the condition was addressed with the patient or managed in some way during the encounter. So that can be a little bit, you know, more difficult to determine if that is covered within that outpatient encounter. All right, great. Thanks, Cynthia. I'm assuming you guys can hear me at this moment. Is that right? Yes, sir. We hear you. You can? Okay. It was weird. I, I had I dropped out of the program altogether. It's a first for Actors Radio for myself. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad to be back on. I, I, I assume you covered that question pretty well, Cynthia, from the sounds of it. And I, I was just showing everyone the, uh, the diagnostic uh, section four. This is the, um, outpa the official uh, guidelines for coding and reporting for ICD-10-CM. So I um, encourage you to look that up after the show. I'll, I'll provide a link to those uh, in the show notes. You know, maybe um, I could talk a little bit, ask some questions about, you know, some of the compliance issues for CDI and coding professionals that they need to be uh, wary of when it comes to HCC submission, 
Cynthia, as you just mentioned, some of the guidelines are different um, in this setting. And I believe there are some unique rules for making sure that conditions are supported in the documentation, you know, i.e. are being monitored, evaluated, assessed, or being treated. And also there needs to be documented evidence of a of a face-to-face -face encounter, if I'm if I'm correct. So maybe you could address that issue, Richard. Yeah, yes, sir. That's uh that's all correct. And uh what what you're referring to there, uh I believe is uh, what is identified by the acronym MEAT, M-E-A-T, which stands for Management, Evaluation, Assessment, or Treatment. This has been around a while and has actually become a widely recognized standard for identifying what constitutes the Section 4 requirements uh, for care treatment or management. So if the record doesn't reflect at least one of these four things, management, evaluation, assessment, or treatment, the condition could not be coded uh, on the claim because it really wasn't addressed pursuant to Section 4. Now, um, in our experience, we have found that NEAT is a little nonspecific, highly subjective, and the criteria kind of overlap. It doesn't really identify what we should expect to see in the record or where we can look for it. And it's been subject to rather broad interpretation and even misinterpretation. And that's sort of resulted in uh, improper application and some problems for some folks. Uh, because of the misinterpretation of what it means. And in our new outpatient pocket guide, we present and explain what information needs to be documented and where by identifying five of what we call relevance criteria. That means what makes something relevant to the visit? What means it's been addressed during the visit pursuant to that section four? Uh, and the purpose is to enhance and supplement meat. And we have an acronym for it, uh, H-E-E-T-D, it stands for history, examination, evaluation, treatment, or discussion. So these are specific areas uh, where uh, something needs to be addressed. And uh, these we have incorporated much more detail and documentation specifics about what ought to be there and why. And so addressing a condition with pertinent information in one or more of these five areas, uh, as they say with meat, in one or more of the four areas, um, but addressing the condition indicates that it ought to meet the Section 4 requirements. All right. Well, thanks, Richard, for that explanation. There's a lot more we could get into today, but we're we're running short on time of the interview port of the portion of the show. But but thanks for the right. the, uh, the thorough introduction to to HCCs and some of the unique uh, reporting criteria and, and diagnoses you might encounter in that setting. Um, I'm going to go ahead at this point and return to our poll question. Um, go ahead, and I will uh, share that at this time with the audience. Again, we did ask our listeners. Does your CDI program assist with HCC's review? Um, so your results are 12% say yes, we have CDI specialists that do this full time. 
Um, another 9% um, have allocated CDI specialists doing this part-time. 20% uh, of our audience um, have, our, have their HIM coding professionals assisting with these reviews. 22% uh, say no, their facility does not get paid under this model, Medicare Advantage. Um, and more than a third don't know, 37% aren't sure. I'll just um, mention our results from, I mentioned when we launched the poll that we did the same exact poll on January 6, 2016. So to look at how this has changed, at that time, only 9% had CDI specialists that performed this full-time, so we've seen a 3% increase there. 6% uh, only said CDI specialists doing this part-time, so again, increase. Uh, about the same in, in the January 6, uh, 2016 poll, 21% said their HIM professionals do this review, so that remains about the same at 20%. Um, 45% at that time did not know. Now we're only we're seeing that drop a little bit to 37%. And about the same did not get paid under that model. So it looks like we are seeing a little more penetration. In the outpatient CDI world. Um, so there's our poll results. Any any um, any thoughts from from you guys, Richard? Anything here surprise you? Uh, no, in fact, uh, you know, I, I think it's consistent with, uh, with what we sense is going on in the industry, that there is uh, a growth, and I think it's going to accelerate, perhaps, in this outpatient uh, area, uh, especially since these HCCs also affect your pay-for-performance programs in terms of risk adjustment. So. Uh, there's a real opportunity to make sure some of those things get captured, uh, and uh, they often may not be uh, when the patient's admitted. Yeah. Any other thoughts, um, Cynthia or Alan, on the on the poll results? We should do the poll again, no, and not for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alan. <laughs> I was saying we should do the poll again in, the, in another year. Uh, that 3% uh, increase is interesting. I'd like to see if it does accelerate uh, the way Dr. Pinson said it might. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll, uh, it's one of the cool things about Actus Radio. We, we, now that we're getting year-over-year -year data, we can continue to maybe reuse some old polls and see how they've changed. Okay, well, let's move on to our, our next segment of the show, which is uh, in the news. In the news is a regular segment featuring latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Uh, today I'd like to discuss the start um, of what is a, a blog series. This is the first part. Uh, the second part is written and I'm told it will be published soon. Um, if you haven't seen this yet, it is United Health Group Inc. versus the United States of America, the case for CDI. I happen to, to have written this one. Um, I'm not trying to show off my work here, but I just thought it'd be interesting to share. I, I wanted to really share the what is an ongoing uh, case um, in the news that has been has had several things transpire even since I wrote this um, this piece here. But go ahead and check it out. Uh, 
regular Actus Radio listeners may recall, we first discussed this case back here on the March 8th, uh, 2017 Actus Radio. There have been some new developments in this case, and so I've decided to recap them as well as the, the ramifications for the CDI uh, profession in, this, in a series of blog posts for Actus.org. So again, I'm showing you uh, the first one here. Um, you know, I, I know, frankly, that, that sometimes the work of a CDI professional can seem unimportant. Um, queries, maybe, you know, does it matter if a query gets answered? When you educate physicians, are they listening? Um, you know, what, what I thought was particularly interesting about this case is it, it underscores greatly how important this profession is. It matters, and it does matter a lot. Um, you know, I, I, I got really interested in this particular case, and I do want to stress that this is an ongoing court case. There are allegations, and that's, that's really all they are at this stage, and we'll see if it even reaches, um, you know, a, 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 a full uh, – goes through the whole court process, but right now what we have is a, a court document from May 16, 2017, United States of America, uh, Benjamin Paling, if I'm pronouncing that name correctly, P-O-E-H-L-I-N-G versus United Health Group, Inc. Um, the Department of Justice has taken up this case as well um, after what was a, a key TAM um, complaint or a lawsuit brought forward by a private individual. Um, Again, the DOJ has taken this case up and has alleged, again, just alleged that United Health artificially increased their Medicare Advantage reimbursement, the HCCs we were just talking about on the show, uh, by, by mining for non-supported diagnoses that were not documented or reported by the physician or through uh, chart documentation. Um, I, I cover sort of some highlights from that case and I provide some links to some of the coverage it has received uh, the New York Times has picked up on this. Uh, Becker's Hospital Review has reported on it. Our own Health Leaders Media has report, reported on it. Uh, there has been recent developments. Uh, United Health Group's lawyers are seeking to get the case dismissed, claiming that they are not required to, to validate the accuracy of diagnostic data submitted by healthcare providers. Uh, really, some interesting things about clinical validation um, as they relate to HCCs, but really about the broader work of CDI professionals. Um, I'm interested to continue to see how this case unfolds and develops. You know, there's a lot on the line here. I will say there's been another, it may have been two other key TAM lawsuits that have been added to this complaint by the DOJ by different individuals. Um, the lawsuit right now is seeking to recover more than a billion, that's with a B, under the False Claims Act. Uh, total damages are, are still unspecified, but it's obvious it's a large case with a lot at stake. Um, so I encourage you to check that out. Again, I, as I do with all of our In the News, I will be providing some show notes and putting the link here. But, um, you know, Richard and Cynthia, any, any thoughts from you on this case? Have you had a chance to look at any of the details and, and any thoughts uh, for our audience on, on sort of um, some of the ramifications? Yeah, I think this has become a really big, uh, really big issue, uh, and it's sort of incumbent. Uh, Medicare considers it incumbent on the uh, MA plans to make sure they are submitting uh, only valid claims and require them to audit claims to make sure that they uh, that they're doing that. Of course. Um, this really is 
only the largest and best known action uh, right now against Medicare Advantage health plans. There are others, and there will be more uh, because the uh, the problem apparently is considered widespread. Uh, and in addition, you know, the accountable care organizations, ACOs, uh, could also be subject to the same sort of scrutiny because they're they're paid in a in a similar fashion. And even providers could be targets, although that rarely happens, but they could be if they are offenders in terms of submitting, you know, HCC diagnoses that really can't be substantiated in a you know a systematic way. And I think the information we talked about today and also what's contained in the our new outpatient pocket guide about HCCs can help avoid improper documentation and claim submission because we give a whole lot of criteria following those things we mentioned about what you've got to look for, where it has to be, and what constitutes uh, a really valid diagnosis. All that's very similar, I think, to our uh, our uh, key references in the inpatient uh, pocket guide. Right. Well, thanks, Richard. It is about doing it compliantly. And um, again, we'll keep following this case for uh, on Actus Radio and elsewhere. Why don't we um, wrap up here briefly? You, you've referred to it a couple times on the show, Richard. Um, in our Actus Update segment, I, I did want to um, spend just a minute here at the end of our show talking a little bit about our new outpatient CDI pocket guide authored by uh, Richard and Cynthia. Um, you can see it here on the screen. It is available for purchase at this time. Um, it, it's just going to the printer. I'm told it's really, it's a brand new book. I'm excited about it. Again, it covers a lot of what we talked about today on the show, of course, in much greater detail. Um, but maybe you could ex tell us just briefly, Richard, Cynthia, what, what tell our audience today what they can expect in this new book. You know, maybe how does it differ mm -hmm. principle from the original CDI pocket guide? Okay. Um, yeah, the, the guide, uh, the new guide, the outpatient guide is laid out pretty much like the original pocket guide and then it has four sections. The original pocket guide has five tabs or five sections. We have four here. Uh, the first section is titled Outpatient CDI, provides a lot of information on how, uh, a lot of topics on how hospitals and physicians are paid in the outpatient setting versus the inpatient. Uh, of course, a lot of detail on HCC since this is the primary focus of uh, our new guide um, and how it impacts providers and insurers and risk adjustment and quality measures. Um, then the second section, which we touched on today, is guidelines, which provides specific, the specific outpatient and documentation guidelines, also includes the physician E&M guidelines also. Um, the third section, which Dr. Pinson talked about, is similar to the key references. It's key diagnoses uh, for HCCs um, and includes uh, the, pretty much the same as the original pocket guide, um, but includes that relevance criteria for each diagnosis. And then the last, last section is a listing of about 200 or so of the most common CCs, HCCs, I mean, for CDI. Includes their HCC number, their weight. And then it includes a listing of the CMS HCCs. And this section is comparable to the comorbid condition and uh, MSDRG table that's included in the original guide. 
Gotcha. All right. Appreciate the overview, and I'm looking forward to the book. And I encourage, um, again, our listeners to go ahead and check it out. Again, it's available um, for you can take a look at the table of contents I've been sharing here, the overview on our HC Marketplace page. Yeah, I think, uh, okay. Brian, it's, it's, it, it's really important not just for outpatient but also inpatient because uh, HCC capture is becoming really uh, – a uh, I don't know a bigger focus of inpatient uh, CTI as well. Right. Yeah, that's important to note that HCCs can be impacted from encounters in the inpatient setting as well. So, right. Good distinction there, Richard. All right. Well, that will do it for today's edition of Actus Radio. We'll be back in two weeks um, for a, a popular topic we covered recently on our quarterly conference call for our members, which and we touched on today. Clinical validation remains a hot topic. Uh, really del taking a delve into our new white paper we recently published on this topic. Um, but as always, if you have any suggestions or future guests, ideas about the format or form of the show or, or uh, idea you want me to, to consider for a future program, that's how I come up with them. I encourage you to uh, reach out to me. You can email me at bmurphy at actus.org. All right, that will do it. Again, thank you to Richard and Cynthia and Alan today, and uh, we'll see you back here again in two weeks. Take care, everyone. Thank you.